Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome everybody to the Last Lap Podcast. I'm your host Andrew Pearson and alongside me as always is my colleague Sean Gray. Hello. The Last Lap Podcast. We are not Singapore, we are Singer Awesome. <laughs> that was good. That wasn't bad, was it? Yeah, that one all myself. <clears throat> yeah, so welcome everybody to the Last Lap Podcast. We are covering the Singaporean... Singaporean? Oh, did I do this the last this episode, again. didn't I? And I st- this is Monagaskan all over again. <laughs> I think it is. Monacanesian, Monacagaskan. What, what is Nico Rosberg? <laughs> <laughs> Singapingan. I like that one. <laughs> uh, I, I'll be honest, I don't know what the um, what the term for... The collective uh, name for Singapore. Yeah, for people. Singapore it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's the Singapore Grand Prix anyway. Uh, self-admittedly, not one of our favourite races um, on the calendar. Looks pretty often that doesn't deliver. Um, uh, yeah, I'll be the first one to say that I think I probably included it in my five least favourite tracks uh, when we when we uh, picked picked our best and worsts. I, th- I'm, I, I can't remember. I'm pretty sure I had it down as in the bottom three of mine. Uh, but yeah, pleasantly surprised this week. It was amazingly an enthralling race. Uh, uh, difficult to put it down to exactly what made this one particularly good. I, I guess the competitive closeness of the cars which obviously hasn't been evident through most of the other races this season um and i think the tires were better this this is you know this season with the with the ultra softs and the fact that people had to be on them in in essence from qualifying generally i think that added a spice to it because it unlike the other years where super soft has been the worst and you saw how long that super softs were technically able to run this year yeah you know i think they've been able to be fairly calm on pit stops and stuff so there was less less variation whereas this year thankfully we had a, a good mix so paul henry was um fairly confident on the grid walk with martin that it was going to be uh, a two-stop race but um in the end uh, a, a wide variation really in, in what actually happened um i don't know whether we're putting that down to to tire life in general being a bit more varied on the ultrasofts maybe but um, I think it's. I mean, it's just another case of the teams having the option to to pick from three different compounds as opposed to two in the past. I've mentioned it a few times this season. Has created. Uh, has worked as intended, as far as I'm concerned, and uh, has spiced up the strategy in the race. Uh, having the ultra softs here and a street circuit where they degrade, not not overly quick. You know, you were getting fifteen, fifteen decent laps or so out of them, but. It just it meant it meant there was so many different options. You could go ultra soft, super soft, soft, or you could go ultra soft, 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 or you could go ultra soft, super soft, super soft. It just gives that a complete extra dimension of of strategy, which kept you intrigued towards the throughout throughout the middle part and towards the latter end of the races, where they have been guilty in the past of you know we've sometimes said in the past that middle lull where, okay, you have the first round of pit stops and then we kind of wait for it to unfold in the last 10 laps and there's maybe 20 laps in the middle where it, nothing's really happening. This the, the, this has kind of been almost negated with with these changes to the tyre regs this season, I feel. And 
this was the the prime example of it. I think everybody in the top five or six all doing something slightly different. Um, the the Red Bulls started on the super softs, and then you know, so that meant they could in theory go a bit longer first stint. Just just a the kind of uh, variations, the strategies that we used to get with refueling when we didn't know how long people would be fueled up for, and you could fuel longer, fuel shorter, etc. These tires having the three different compounds get us to as as close to that as possible without having the refueling. So as someone who's a massive advocate of bringing back refueling, I'm a huge fan of it. And it meant we had an interesting race, and it meant that at the back end of the race, the teams were able to do the racy strategy, and, 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 and we actually got some decent on-track battles rather than everybody just hanging on to the, the most durable compound tyre and just driving at home, managing the pace, and everybody staying exactly where they are and accepting the position that they're in with 10 laps to go, which is what we sometimes get. No, absolutely. Uh, and I think that's uh, it's proved to be one of the uh, worked out to be a better rule change than I think it appeared to at the start of the season where it seemed unwieldy and um, full of um, too many rules to make it uh, discernible to the fans. But see, it's turned out to be um, a very... Uh, a I'm a huge rule. fan. Yeah, I'm yeah. a huge fan. And, you know, it's just like, you know, anybody who listens to us regularly know how much we wanted refueling back. And when we thought it was coming back, we celebrated and then they went back off the table and then it was on the table and off the table. This is as close to as you're going to get in modern Formula One for me of having unpredictable and variable strategies the way that the current tyre uh, regulations are. So, I'm pleased, and if it wasn't for that change in, in regulation, I don't think we would have had anywhere near as interesting a Grand Prix, and we'd have probably been talking about Singapore in the way that we might have talked about it in the past. So, so this was this was great. Um, what what did you make of the the battles up front? Then we kind of had a wee, the breakaway at the top. The top four were kind of in a in a league of their own from from the rest of the field today or this weekend. So, what 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 did you think then? No, I mean it was nice to see. Um... Uh, a start where you didn't feel like it was a, a or just going to be see a, a, which two cars got to the front of the first. It, it felt like you know with the the Merck's kind of clutch woes, Ferrari being good starts this season, as and the the Rebels obviously being pretty good themselves. That um, you know it wasn't really a just down to which which of the two Mercs got away best was always going to be the the decider. Um, I mean, and, we, sorry, carry on. No, it's just, just really, just kind of continuing that theme. That um, how how often this season have we said that who gets to the first corner wins the race between the two marks? That 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 has happened a few times this season. This race, it didn't feel like that. It felt like yeah, Nico got away into the first corner in the lead, but it felt more like any one of the top three, and to an extent, Raikkonen in the fourth a little bit. Could if they play their cards right and have a good race, could could seriously challenge for victories, and that's something that we haven't had for a long time. Um, in the end, we did end up getting first, second, and third on the grid, finishing in first, second, and third on the on the podium. So it sounds a little bit silly, I guess, to say that, but at least it didn't. It, it felt like it was much more competitive. Uh, and that's all you can ask for as a fan watching the race. You want to feel like you're watching something that's that's an actual competition. And it felt like a legit competition between 
multiple parties for the win here rather than just a case of who gets to the first corner first so that's why this made it such a good a good grand prix in my in my opinion uh and um, as a fan of nico rosberg i was delighted with the result so it was a double a double positive for me uh as a neutral fan of the sport it was a great race and as a fan of an individual i was very happy with the results i, I was delighted i think the nice thing was is that we didn't have um the uh it wasn't just completely processional really what first corner was or through that there were changes in shops throughout the race kind of going all of the time which which kind of kept you on your seat you weren't quite sure how maybe people like max and uh sebastian were um were going to do um coming through the pack uh, through through their various woes, and they sort of kept on sort of popping up in places, and you thought, oh, they're doing well, and then they'd sort of disappear again. You think, oh, well, maybe I don't know if this is really gonna, you know, sort of come off um, uh, and really happen, especially in the case of Max Verstappen, who um, seems to have an awful trouble uh, getting through when you consider he finishes behind Sebastian Vettel, who started uh, last. He finished um, not only behind Sebastian, but. Uh huge chunk of time behind him as well um yeah i mean that was a max Verstappen's race was uh was a very curious one uh to end up in in sixth which not not a great result but but also not terrible in the sense that he's at least you know beating all the cars he should be beating but yeah just a very a funny old race for Max. He just seemed to be permanently stuck behind uh, a, either a Toro Rosso or you know, something else and just constantly losing time in traffic. And then people who were out in clean air, the likes of Sebastian, who, who managed to do his strategy and get in clean air and, and get the head down and put in the good laps, ended up just being miles ahead of him when all the strategy unfolded. So, yeah, no, I think he chewed his tyres quite badly as well for Stappen in the first couple of stints following traffic. So he just, it wasn't, for, for a track that you would assume would have really suited the Red Bull, not really his day. Uh, luckily for them, they have Danny Rick over a minute up the road, ultimately, in the end, uh, putting in a, putting in a, a stormer. So, uh, yeah, not, not Max's finest hour, but at least uh, Danny was able to give us real edge of the seat stuff chasing down uh chasing down Nico towards the end. What did you did you think he was gonna get him? I I must admit when they did the stop I didn't think so. I, I thought that there was um what was there was fourteen laps left um and he'd have been you know twenty eight, thirty seconds behind. Um and I thought can can he really be uh, two and a half seconds per lap faster for 14 laps consistently to be able to overtake Rosberg and you know he made a damn good go of it um, <laughs> I mean I'll be honest when uh, so you got Nico out front you got Danny Rick behind Kimi and Lewis have pitted so it starts a chain reaction when Nico didn't come in to cover Danny Rick because he would have got caught in traffic due to the slow in lap, he got caught in traffic due to the slow in lap, didn't come in to cover Danny. 
I thought, okay, that's absolutely fine. This is 100% the strategy to be on. Nico's doing the right thing. He's got a 30-second gap there. There's 14 laps left. As you say, he can't. He surely can't maintain that gap. For, he surely can't maintain that level of gain, uh, Danny Ricciardo, that is, had to be able to pass him. I was so confident. And then the first lap Danny Rick did out on the new tyres, it was 3.5 seconds a lap quicker than Nico. And my, I tell you, my, my face just went, oh no, that's a phenomenal amount quicker on one lap. And from that point on, I, I was like, okay, you have my attention now, Daniel. Like, you know, this is, uh, this is going to be squeaky bum time for Nico up front here. And then I spent the remaining 25, 30 minutes, however long it was, on the edge of my seat, just chewing my nails, thinking, is, what's going to happen here? What's going to happen here? Uh, so and that was me sitting at home watching on my television. So I can't imagine what it was like for Nico in the car or the Mercedes guys on the pit wall. Danny drove fantastically well. Um, mighty unlucky to. I mean, what what do you think? Another lap, two laps at the most, he probably wins the race. Uh, I think it. I think it's possible. I think. I think the thing is that you would never know really exactly how much Nico could have pushed harder had yep. it not looked pretty clear that he was gonna be far enough ahead come the last lap that it wasn't going to require him to um, of course. really test the machinery. But the Red Bull looked pretty handy around the circuit um, when the when the rubber was fresh enough to, to really give them the boost. Um, so, yeah, it, it was probably there for the taking. I, I don't know if they could have... Um, could have done anything different. I don't know if uh, the Red Bull guys. Yeah, um, whether th- there's, you know, looking at the the tire strategy, they went, uh, they were on, started on super softs, went to super softs, um, then went to softs, and then went to super softs. You wonder if maybe had they switched to softs in their first stint, whether Daniel would have been able to have pushed harder on the. Uh, super softs in the last two stints when the car was lighter to have maybe Possibly. been that little bit closer at the road. But I mean, you, you're probably talking, um, you know, tenths really, probably less than a second overall given the stint length. Um, I think it's hard to, uh, uh, you know, criticise Red Bull too much in, in this situation. I think they gave it everything. Danny gave it everything. The team gave him the strategy to go out there and just bang the laps in and see what could happen. And, and they fell short, but uh, I don't think you can take anything anything away from them. And if you'd given them second at the start of the weekend, would they have taken it? Well, maybe not. Singapore's the one track uh, of the season that they probably would expect to be as close to Mercedes more than any other race. So they probably felt they could have had a win today or this weekend. But um, yeah, it's still a great result. And I don't think he can take anything away from from them. They give it. They give it everything. No, no, absolutely. Sorry, and uh, uh, that definitely wasn't a criticism. No, I, I didn't think it I was. was just kind of thinking, I didn't think it was. I'm just. Yeah. Was there was there anything that they could have really done to change that? And I don't. I don't think there was. Um, Nico, I say a bit about Nico as well. He drove the weekend of his life, the whole weekend, to put it on the, the pole lap. And we never really touched on qualifying, but it was his pole lap was outstanding he was I know Lewis yeah, has not, not, not had a great weekend Lewis and we'll come on to him but 
he was something like seven tenths ahead of Lewis and a, a couple, uh, a few ahead of Ricardo. He was just on fire all weekend, Nico, and that's three wins in a row for him now. Back in front in the championship, we keep saying all season that Nico's a confidence driver. He needs the momentum. He needs to have his, you know, his his head up, and and he, he likes. He's a good leader. He's not so good from coming from behind and such. So. This is exactly what the doctor ordered for him. Three wins in a row from the break. And now it's it's, it's game on big time uh, in terms of world championship again. Uh, I didn't, I'll be honest, coming, coming, after, coming back after August, uh, I didn't expect to be saying this by this point in the season. I thought Spa, Monza, Singapore, I thought Lewis was bound to win at least one, maybe two, and the championship would be all but over by now. So... I'm pleased as a fan of Rosberg and as a neutral fan of Formula One that we're going to get a good close title going down to the wire with the likes of things. Uh, the interesting thing uh, is that that win pushes him on to eight wins for the season. Uh, mm-hmm. And apparently, uh, you statisticians out there can correct me if I'm wrong, apparently no driver has ever not won the World Championship after winning eight Grand Prix in a season. Well... Let's wait and see. Nico might be the one. If anybody's going to be the one to not do it, it'll probably be Nico. But <laughs> and I guess the I guess the other thing is in a lot of other seasons there'd be a lot less races. So eight races True. in a in a previous True. season of fifteen races would have quite easily won you the title. That's uh, true. Uh, and with less points, probably as well. There's obviously still so something like hundred and fifty points still left on the board. So well, it's six races. So yeah, the interesting thing for me is going forward from here is remember how strong Nico was at the back end of last season. Now, we know Lewis had had the title wrapped up with two or three races to go last season and probably took his foot off the gas a little bit. But it doesn't take any, anything away from the fact that Nico was really hooked up at a lot of those circuits. So if he can find that groove again uh, at the, the same circuits, uh, if on paper he's got some of the circuits he doesn't like as much out of the way, hopefully you know it stands him in good stead. Uh, time will tell, I guess. But... Think back to Mexico last year. Uh, I think back to Interlagos. Nico drove really well. I think he won Abu Dhabi as well. So he's, you know, these are all tracks that he that he's clearly got proven format. So yeah, hard not to be positive for him at this at this stage. No, absolutely. Um, what about his title rival then? Talk to uh, me about Lewis. What happened it, this weekend? Uh, set up. It was the the sort of floating word to uh, talk about about what happened is that Lewis apparently just didn't ever get the car into the groove, um, which uh, I guess tells you at least that when people talk about, oh, you know, Nico gets all of Lewis's data, so that's why, you know, he goes well. And it's just like, well, if sharing data was the thing, if it was just a case that you could set up your car the same as somebody else's, um, they'd have set... Lewis's car up the same as Nico for this race, uh, in the same that they the way that they do it other round because there's no way that they'd want me <laughs> one of their drivers struggling to beat uh, Red Bull and Ferrari in qualifying. There's just no way. Um, as Paddy Lowe was saying, what they what they dearly wanted from this race was to be the first team to do uh, the one two. Um, so there's no reason to why Lewis couldn't have used Nico's data. I, it, it's obviously clear, I think, from that that the drivers have very different ways of approaching the, their car setup and driving, and uh, it just means that 
a lot of the things probably aren't as transferable as they might be to two teammates who had a a similar way of driving. Um, but he just didn't ever seem to quite get going. He didn't really hook up practice. Um, Quali was kind of scruffy. Um, uh, and in the race, I don't know. He he only came alive on his you know on his last last stint um, and was you know quite quite vocally um, stressed at his strategy guys to give him something different, which I guess they did in the end. Um, how much of that was um, was forced on them um, by the fact that Kimmy was able to get past and whether they would have tried to have done anything different had that not happened, I don't know. Um, but he just didn't he didn't seem to be anywhere on it and that there was something I slightly felt about the last race although a lot of that was down to the fact that he had to, to go through and I know he had a you know uh, a decent enough result last time um, but yeah I don't know I just felt the last couple of races Lewis just hasn't been at his best whether losing three on the bounce acts as a sort of, you know, uh, a push to get him motivated again and maybe he'll come back uh, strong in Malaysia. Or, you know, could we could we have been pointing at the wrong guy all season when we talk about confidence drivers and, and bits and pieces? And, you know, is it, term, is it now Lewis's turn to feel that... Um, things are slipping away from him and whether that makes him less mentally prepared. I, I don't know. Um, I don't feel like Lewis is that kind of driver. Do you? He doesn't ever seem to have been like not, not, confidence not is hardly something I feel he has to. No, well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I would quite agree with that one. So yeah. Um... But I can't explain what happened to him this race. He was, he was, Poor, literally up until the he, you know, he got his last stint on, um, and then was seemed to be able to do something with the car. Um, given that Nico out front was having brake problems all race, and he was out front in clean air most of the race, um, I, I don't understand how the car kind of came back to Lewis in that way. But maybe I don't know. Maybe some of the management he was doing for his his brakes and stuff was what allowed Kimmy to overtake him in the first place, but that made him in, you know, gave him bit, a bit better of a car in the last stint. I don't know. Maybe he pushed less evenly than Rosberg did across the race. So was rewarded in the end by being able to take more out of the car than um, possibly maybe some of the other cars who might also have been struggling brake wise a little bit. I don't know, but a curious weekend for Lewis, I think is the, is the best way of putting it. And one he'll want to put behind him, I'm I'm sure. Two or three races in a row that he'll want to put behind him, I think, ultimately. Well, I think I think Spa, he knew he was going to get kicked in the nuts for that. So right. I, I Spa can't would, imagine yeah. that's just water off the docks. Because I knew it was going to happen. I did the best I could. I got the best result I could out of that race. To be fair, Spa, Spa, was, a, Spa was a save getting third. You know, that yeah. would have been a lot worse. Well, and he drove, he drove really well. And I think that was the other thing about it, is he had a good race in Spa, despite the fact that the result, you know, probably wasn't the same as if he'd been qualifying first or second. Um, so it's, you know, it's definitely not the race result there that's going to have got him down. 
because uh, I'm sure he must have mentally prepared that all weekend when Mercedes started talking about it. But definitely, I think the result last time out and this result all kind of stem out. And, you know, I know Mercedes seemed to be covering by saying, oh, well, the start wasn't his fault. But, but if, you know, I, I I find it hard to believe that there's no, you know, you can't blame the driver at all for how badly a car starts. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, it's like Max this weekend. Is. You know, Max had a, a bad one here. And Brundle said on the radio, eh, sorry, on the commentary, something about obviously how they've changed the, the way the starts go through now and it's more emphasis on the drivers. And he said that he wasn't convinced that that was a good idea as that a bad start can ruin an entire guy's race. And then pointed to, to Max as the example there. I'm just, I just, I normally agree with most of what Brando says, but I find that tough to agree with because the start is as much of a skill as anything else. So, you know, well, we got into this. Why, why, shouldn't this... They, why shouldn't the drivers have to be able to start well? It's part of the race, you know. If they if they don't have a good race because they start poorly and it's their fault, then then that's their fault. So, I'm yeah, I'm not a fan of the, the sort of the automated launch control type starts. No, put the emphasis on the drivers, and if they screw it up, they screw it up. That's the you know. Well, isn't that yeah. isn't that where everybody's been been saying is you know we want. Um... We, we get this weird dichotomy of saying, ah, we want the tyres to be able to allow them to race, but we don't want the tyres to last all race because uh, then it's boring. You know, we don't want launch control because that's not the driver doing it. But when a driver suffers, oh, but it's not fair because, you know, once you've had a bad start, that ruins your whole race. But there's no middle ground in that. Do you know what I mean? Either you say the driver is in control of it all, um, or you let the you know you let the car start for them. Do you know what I mean? And they just press a start button, um, and and point the car in the right direction. So, um, I'm I'm happier to see drivers suffer poor starts occasionally and have that compromise their season than I am to see cars zooming off the line with no wheel spin uh, and everybody going into the first corner at. At, you know, at their perfect speed. Um, because I don't think that's, I don't think that's what we're pushing for in, in F1 these days as fans. I don't think we want to see more things that not mess, make the, well, it is that, that one is making the, the car easier to drive. There's no, yep. that's not one of those, you know, uh, if, if or but things, you know, it's the same as, as active suspension makes it easier to drive because then the car doesn't bounce around or do anything like that. It's planted to the um, the road surface, at, you know, at all times. Uh, and everybody thinks those things are bad ideas because it means the driver isn't driving the car. But yeah, the the downside of that, a bit like the downside of the engine penalty thing, is the more we say we want the drivers to be in control and all those bits and pieces, you will ultimately introduce things. Um, that mean that uh, mistakes by the driver are punished probably fairly harshly. Good. Um, <laughs> I want their mistakes punished. These are professional Formula One drivers paid an awful lot of money. If they make mistakes, they should be punished. Well, this is the the point about um, it's the gravel trap. Gravel traps for me. Exactly. You the, the words right in my mouth. I want gravel traps. If someone spins a car, they should be punished. I don't like the big runoff area. You spin you. 
if you're out there, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, you know, pretty harsh with, with that. You know, like, I, I, if you make a mistake and you and you're out of the race because of it, then then don't make the mistake. You know, it's, and we'll soon sort out the people who make mistakes from the people who don't. I mean, I'm quite happy for there to be like like a car and a half's width around every corner that's that's tarmac, so that people who yeah. go a little bit too deep make a little mistake, you know, aren't be... overly punished. But if somebody dives down into a corner uh, and can't stop at all, and they go, you know, six or seven metres off track, then they've made a boo-boo, and there should be slightly more repercussions than one or two seconds lost as they then spin up the wheels and make a, just a wider turn than they were expecting. Um, yeah, I would be happy with that going rise. You know, like you say, our car's with, two cars with it, and, and immediately next to the track, and that's, I don't think that's necessarily unfair. But yeah, it's these massive, on the modern tracks, these massive acres of space of runoff area that they can just skirt around and back onto the track and 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 lose virtually zero time some of the times, you know? It's like what we said about track limits, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, if they were racing at Monaco or Albert Park or Baku... They'd be in the wall. So. <laughs> there are no runoff areas. So what we're saying there that, you know, we shouldn't have street circuits because... I don't know. It's too dangerous because there is no runoff area. But in places where there was some runoff and then a gravel trap for a long way and then walls uh, and then tyre barriers and stuff, you know, things that actually stop impacts, not just a wall <laughs> or an armco, um, you know, that that's inherently unsafe. And I know I know the the one that everybody brings up is that, oh, well, if a car digs down into the thing, it can flip over and stuff. But that can happen anywhere. It happened at Albert Park, didn't it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Alonso's car went went over and 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 flipped and hit and, and did all the bits and pieces, and it wasn't. You know, I know there was a, there's a small trap in there, but it's not. That's not down to the gravel trap doing that. That's down to the fact that the car's been flung in a particular way, and that's yeah. They're happen. driving. They're driving Formula One cars at 200 miles an hour. Well, it's it's a it's a potentially risky sport. I think we can. I think we. I think everybody involved accepts that you know we can't plus when was the last time anybody got hurt by a gravel trap that's the that's the kind of sort of thing like the halo is i mean again if you're going to make the comparison then as you say well you know if we're saying that then why bring in the halo but it's kind of proven that bouncing tires kill people and and bouncing debris kills people um and the halo could do something to prevent those things but i i don't know anybody who has specifically been hurt by a car overturning in a gravel trap um compared to it overturning somewhere else do you, do you know what i mean i don't uh, yeah. think i don't think that's something we need to worry about in formula one or it certainly doesn't feel like it should be certainly something that requires turning all tracks into massive car parks put it this way if if every single formula one track had massive gravel traps and no runoff area i wouldn't be sitting here going uh, you know what else we need, Andrew? We, we really need we really need to get rid of these gravel traps. They're too dangerous. I wouldn't be saying that if every if every track if gravel traps were were everywhere, I would not be thinking. Oh, this this has got to stop. So, anyway, that we've kind of digressed a little bit there, but put it this way: uh, yeah, more gravel traps, please, Mister. Um, oh, what's his name? We've got a new owner, don't we? Chase Casey or Casey Chase something. Or something. That's an American boy, isn't it? He's uh, he was uh, 
pictured uh, around Singapore all, all weekend, hanging out with the uh, Nicky Lauda scene in the yes in, uh, at one moment. So that'll put um that'll certainly give him an interesting view <laughs> of Formula One hanging out with Nicky. Um, yeah, so more gravel traps. <laughs> That's what we want to see from your from your leadership. Absolutely. Um, Kimi with a valiant fourth for Ferrari. Um. Yeah, I mean, touch disappointed that we lost the the podium in the pits, but it's a that's didn't a, really expect to. That's a chicken moment, isn't it? What do you mean? Well, because Mercedes said, "Do you blink?" They pitted because they had yep. no real other choice than to. Mm-hmm. And Ferrari didn't do what Merck actually did when Red Bull did the same thing. They didn't kind of sit there and go, "Hmm, let's see, you know, what what's the um, what we're we gonna do." He's thirty seconds behind our driver with sixteen laps to go. Uh, you know, should we wait and see at the last minute, as they were doing with with Nico? They they just blinked immediately and and seemed to bring Kimmy in. Um, yeah, I think they would have got. I mean, it's all lives and buts. Um, we'll never know. But I think the Merck on fresh tyres would have hunted down a Ferrari easier than what Danny Rick could hunt down Nico up front. Uh. So, and 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 given how close Danny got to Nico, Hamilton and Raikkonen. Still got a pass though, isn't he? And it, Hamilton, it's, yeah, it's of course. Not easy. Hamilton yeah. and Raikkonen pitted a couple of laps before the, the guys up front uh, did. Or, or certainly, or Danny did. Nico obviously didn't stop, so there would have been a couple of extra laps to play with it, uh, towards the end. The Merck's a faster package, I think. Even though they didn't have a great weekend, Lewis, he still had ultimately would have had a faster package than the Ferrari and the fresh tires. I think he would have got past Kimi on track anyway. And he only ends up what two seconds, two seconds back though, doesn't he? So mm-hmm. yeah. I think that you know, it would have been close. I just think it had had they stayed out, I don't, I don't think that two seconds equals breezing past a Ferrari. Uh, you know, with a couple of laps to go. Uh, I think if that's the case, then you know, uh, Hamilton oh, is is five seconds up the road happily, not worrying about Kimi coming back at him, which he was. Um, so. And that's the thing to remember is that Kimmy came out of the pits farther behind Lewis, yeah, than, than he ultimately crossed the line. So I don't, and, uh, I understand that obviously that's down to the fact that you know the the um, Ferrari had uh, pitted for um, ultra softs compared to super softs. So I understand that there's there's something there, but I, I just think it just means that the the pace difference that they that we normally might have associated, I don't think, I don't think would have played in there. I think, I think Ferrari did themselves out of the chance of a third place podium. They they had no chance once they pitted afterwards. The yeah, undercut, the undercut pro- was had proven to be yeah. far too strong all throughout the race. So, I think once they hadn't pitted first, they had to just. They go, should have just take the take the Nico right, risk and and try and hang on. What's the worst that can happen? We we end up fourth, isn't it? Do yeah. you know what I mean? Because yeah, I Vettel was so much further down the road. And even if he, even if Vettel wasn't as far down the road, it, it, it's still Vettel. It's still another Ferrari. So they're not going to ultimately lose out on 
constructor points or anything. But yeah, um, yeah, like you say, once Hamilton's stopped first, I think they're damned if they do, damned if they don't. I think they would. I think they had no way. I think Lewis would have passed. Like I say, it's ebbs and butts, but I think Lewis would have passed. But it might have been more interesting to see them try and stay out and, and, and hang on because, like you say, once he comes out behind the Merck, it's pretty much all over. Uh, what about Seb then? Well, driver of the day, according to yeah. the fans, which I think is fair place, fair play from 22nd yeah. on the grid to 5th uh, at, at the Singapore Grand Prix. A few um, tasty overtakes, including a double one. Um, Notoriously uh, difficult track to overtake, of course. So yeah, you got to give them credit there, definitely. And I think that, in a way, kind of, um, I think demonstrates what the the pace of the actual Ferrari probably was, in a way. Uh, you didn't really see it with Kimi because he had, had one person he was racing all race, uh, and whilst they did get past him on track, um, that that was kind of it. So I don't think you you got to see really the relative pace of the Ferrari, but it was it was clearly um, very quick at, at points during the race. So. Um, I mentioned it earlier but Vettel finished half a minute ahead of Max Verstappen Max Verstappen I know he had a very funny race Max but Vettel started last, stone last and to finish half a minute ahead of a Red Bull how has he done that? (laughs) I I don't really know both of their races were very funny to follow I couldn't quite work out who was doing better throughout the race sometimes I think Vettel would be doing like great, I've got oh, oh, Vettel's up into sixth place, so that's pretty damn good. And then he'd he'd have to pit at a sort of a regular time, and then he he'd drop back, and you go oh oh he's like tenth now, so hmm okay. I think I think what happened ultimately is obviously he started on the soft tire, he rings out the soft tire for as long as he can, stretches out the stint, and then just went ultra soft, ultra soft for his two stints towards the end of the race while the car was obviously lighter in fuel. So he was able to just go ultra soft, ultra soft, and do basically fifty percent of the race, banging out quality laps and and passing people and and giving it the full beans. It's interesting to and, see if you look at the the stint lengths that he was able to do eighteen and nineteen laps on his ultra soft, whilst Max Verstappen only managed fourteen on his second set and seventeen on his on his uh, third set of. Uh, Super and only thirteen on his quality tires. That that uh, and, only, and he only did seventeen on the softs. So that backs up what Christian Horner said, and 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 looked apparent from watching is that Max was just chewing up the tires a lot worse than than most other people around him. And maybe that he was unfortunate that he got into pretty bad traffic because of the bad start, and that didn't help following cars in the dirt air. It's like uh, Carlos Sainz, Danny Fiat. These people he obviously battled Fiat for ages, and and that. That one was personal, wasn't it? Um, so that that didn't help him. He chewed his tires up big time there, and that possibly a little bit of an experience there from Max. We'll talk about how good a talent he is, and he and he is that. But perhaps somebody with a bit more wiser head on his shoulders wouldn't have got drawn into such a prolonged battle with Danny Fiat, uh, and maybe he saved the tires a little bit, uh, and 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 been better off on the long term strategy for the race. Uh, I find it very, again, a bit like Daniel Ricciardo, I find it odd that he he didn't go on the softs as soon as he could. Um, Nobody was really fancying the softs, though. It was only the Mercedes team that seemed to really fancy them. 
the Red Bulls seem pretty keen on the on the yeah. on the super softs. I, I, I think given his start, I would have. You know, Danny, yeah. Danny Rick, Rick, I can kind of understand why they went with their plan A. But I think as soon as I saw where Max was and what was kind of happening to him in the traffic, I think I'd have said, right, get on the super softs. Um, you'll be in a better position to make hay whilst everybody on the super softs or ultra softs are losing time. Ring it out for as long as you can. Um, and then we'll get you on whatever fast tires we can near the end of the race. Because yeah. if you have to overtake, then at least... Especially you know. given that he was having difficulty keeping his tyre life, you know, putting on the the durable tyre might have made sense as well from that point of view. So yeah, so the yeah. reason the reason Max is thirty seconds down the road is because he takes an extra stop, basically. Yeah, yeah. Seb Seb did the two stop. Him and him and Nico were the pretty much the two that did the that did what as you alluded to earlier, Paul Henry said was the optimum, which was the two. Vettel was able to do the two. Um, because Max was the guy behind him who did the did the third stop, and he had a had a a, a much of a, a comfortable gap. To, he, he wasn't under any pressure in the way that that Nico was from from Danny Ricardo. I think, and that, that Max having to do that extra stop comes down to the fact that he, he couldn't keep his tires tires going. So that 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 would be the area for for Red Bull to go away from here and say, why did? We lose the battle with Seb there. It seems to have come down to to Max not being able to chew uh, to, to preserve his tires and, and chew not too quickly. Possibly because he got stuck in traffic. Possibly because he spent too long squabbling with other guys. And then, and, and and as you very well know, that's not going to help your tires, is it? So, yeah, possibly a little bit of inexperience from Max on that part. But take nothing away from from Seb. It was a a great drive to get him in fifth. Uh, so outside of um, the top three teams, we come to the guy who fairly <laughs> was certainly risably uh, quoted as saying, at Singapore, we have a chance to be the fourth best team. Um, Fernando Alonso in <laughs> the McLaren, who uh, looked pretty comfortable throughout the whole of the race. Yeah. Um, if there was ever going to be a circuit where you kind of fancied him to go well, here was probably it, you know, the, the, the less emphasis on power. So d- did you think going into the weekend uh, that the McLaren should be the fourth best team on paper? Uh, I thought that they might have had um, a bit more trouble at this one than some of the others with maybe some of the other midfield teams. Um, not Williams, but with with Force India's recent, you know, showing as now not just the low downforce team. Uh, I wondered if the, the, this track might not be quite uh, as bad for them. Uh, and of course the Toro Rossos who, you know, are suffering power wise, but have seemed to, you know, at the start of the season, you could tell had a, a reasonably decent car underneath them. Um, and in qualifying, it certainly showed that the, um, both the Toro Rossos, uh, up in the top 10 um, showing some pace around the track. So I wasn't, I wasn't totally confident, um, but I kind of hope, like, you know, do you know what, if they, if he'd have come eighth, ninth, 10th, something like that, I think I'd have been very pleased, but I think the, the seventh place um, and the fact that, what you didn't see was a lot of cars streaming past the Honda. 
like yeah. you like you have in all the other races. And I know I know this is Singapore, so less overtaking and it's less power and all those bits and pieces. But if the car was was you know sort of fundamentally flawed, it wouldn't have mattered that it was not a power circuit. Do you know what I mean? It, it would have been chewing up his tires and sliding off and doing all um, all the other bits and pieces. But as it was, he was able to keep um, the Toro Rosso's um, Force India. Uh, all well behind him um, and pretty much did a, a I guess you would say for as far as you know a McLaren can go this season a pretty much flawless race really um, made up a couple of places at the start which helped um, but the the car looked looked pretty good around the this race circuit so I think that's a seventh place on merit and that should that should signal warnings I think to some of the other teams who maybe think that, you know, all the McLaren talk is a little bit boastful about, you know, best chassis and, and all these bits and pieces, um, that, you know, when that when that Honda engine becomes, you know, even semi-reasonable, which it probably still isn't at the moment, um, that's a, you know, that's a big hurdle for the other teams who have perhaps been coasting a little bit on past gains or... Um, you know, have uh, a limited curve in their research and development, which doesn't really exist at a team like McLaren or one of the, the other the other big teams who can afford to pour uh, millions into research and development on on every aspect of the car. Um, because I, I think it, you know, if, if you can fundamentally fundamentally make it go fast around low power circuits, then it's got to be easier to reverse engineer that back. And make the car faster on circuits where aero is less dependent. It should be easier to take things off the car to make it faster than it is to put them on to make them faster uh, when the cars are going slower. If you can mm-hmm. follow what I mean. No, I do. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I really the the bit that got me was just how much better they appeared to be than the Force Indias because that's that's the kind of yardstick at the moment because you're looking at Force India and Williams in this titanic battle. Um, you know, McLaren are pulling away. They've pulled away nicely from Haas, and they're going to pull away from Toro Rosso more and more as the as the season goes on. Um, so you're, those are the teams are in, are in front, and to be seemingly well ahead of both of them um, at this race, I think it's got to give got to give the team and the fans a little bit of a boost to say, do you know what? You know, things. This isn't an entirely rotten apple that we've we've got going on here. It's maybe a bit, maybe a bit battered and bruised. You know, <laughs> there's a there's a thumbnail mark in it somewhere along the along the top, and it's um, maybe a bit dusty or something like that. But there's not. You know, I think under the the core, there's you know something decent to be to be brought from. And you know, again, we're talking about 2017. More aero, more grip. Let's you know cautiously say that maybe that's a good place for the McLaren to be to say we've got all of this good stuff on the car the good package that hopefully will translate well to the next season Honda you know once the once the engine freeze is gone get on it and let's get you know let's get this engine all done and dusted and uh and really start challenging so yeah yeah it's an interesting point that you make about the the standings with McLaren pulling away from from Haas and Toro Rosso and things, 
Just having a quick look at it myself there. Fernando Alonso, 36 points. Um, he's only five points behind Felipe Massa. You know, given that how going into the season, the Williams versus the McLaren, you would have, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you'd have had them in, it's like chalk and cheese in terms of what you would expect from them from the season. You're expecting the Williams to be fourth best team, possibly looking to, you know, chase down Ferraris and, and Williams, uh, sorry, and Red Bulls. And you're looking at the McLaren and you think, oh, can they compete with the likes of the Renault and the Haas and the, the Toro Rosso? So for Fernando to be only five points behind Felipe Massa at this stage in the season is just, just something that caught my eye there. And I was, just, I was like, wow, a little bit taken aback by that. Shows to It shows not only the level of progression that the McLaren is making, but also the level of regression that the Williams is making. And you got to look at that and say that Fernando Alonso, who uh, didn't score any points uh, in four races because of retirements, and obviously he didn't start in Bahrain. So that's a, you know... That's a pretty good return, I think, um, for um, a very spotty season in terms of the ability to be on track scoring points. Um, and I think you can you can see it really in the um, in the results for the for the Williams teams and where they you know they were going in that sort of sixth fifth kind of thing at the start of the season and it's all all slightly started to become, you know, ninths and tenths and elevenths and twelfths here and there. Do you know what I mean? There's definitely, you know, um, a fairly clear lack of progression in their results. Um, and it seems to be that the, the McLaren is going in the other way from very bad results if you you know ignore the reliability side of the stuff, which um, I think, as they've all said, isn't it? I'd rather have a fast car that was unreliable than a slow car that got me to the yeah. end of every race. Um, That's going to happen, isn't it, with this this kind of development thing? What, what then? The... So McLaren Williams twenty seventeen. Then who who do you think by the end of twenty seventeen, McLaren will be uh, be ahead of the Williams team? Uh, I I hesitate to to say so early, you know, we haven't finished this season. We don't really know anything about what really happens next season, but I, I think that there's a chance. I think there's a reasonable chance. I, th- I think, I think the biggest McLaren roads are still the engine. So, of course. Yeah, of course. Um, that's something that McLaren can rely on Honda to improve. Um, Williams can't rely on Mercedes to do anything more for their team. You know they'll they'll get the engine that uh, you know Mercedes give them. So to to some extent, you 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 have to say that potential gains, given how the cars are kind of sitting at the moment, would would make you feel that there's an, there's a re- really good chance that um, that McLaren could could take those couple of steps up the constructors uh, league. I. I be surprised if they if they went farther than that. If I'm completely honest, um, I think this project is turning out to be a little bit longer term than uh, maybe Alonso and Button were hoping. But um, I think the progression is pretty linear. I think you can follow that progression really from very very <laughs> terrible starts um, to to where they are now. You know, is 
pretty much an all upward curb. Um, so why why not be confident that you could overtake a team that doesn't seem to be developing the car uh, very well uh, and potentially take on Force India, a midfield team with a limited budget who seem to be doing very well for themselves within that budget. But there's there's obviously an upper ceiling that they'll probably reach in terms of how fine they can they can tweak the car for gains. That's how I see it anyway. Well, I, I don't know at this stage, but we'll... It's certainly a little bit more exciting to be a McLaren fan than it was 12 <laughs> months ago, isn't it? That's so. absolutely true. It's, <laughs> it's, it's better than being a McLaren fan, you know, four months ago, really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't long heading into the, we were heading into the European season that we were like, mm, cars not, you know, people weren't sure maybe Haas was going to do better or not. Or how yeah, I remember, you know. I remember the discussion where we thought Haas might, finish ahead of McLaren in the Constructors uh, Championship and that has been swiftly put to bed so that's uh, one battle won uh, more to come so Eighth, Perez 10th was yeah. kind of a, a, a good fight all um, all race really whenever a car seemed to be getting into that um, that little battle behind Alonso um, things got rather tasty so um, Perez did uh, as I put on Twitter if on our, our account if you're following at last lap podcast i said perez doing a perez uh, <laughs> or trying to anyway <laughs> coming in early and going on um essentially two stints he you know in a lot of ways he one stopped really because he, he was one of the people that took advantage of the um safety car and, and changed his tires on the first lap went straight to softs and then did another stint on the softs so he only did one lap on his his quality tires, which hardly counts as a stint. So really he did, he did the whole race on two sets of soft tires um, uh, and got himself up into eighth. Although it has to be said um, probably fairly squeaky bottom from uh, Perez, given the mercurial Danny Kvyat in the Toro Rosso, who um, I don't know what happened. He found, he found his smile. He did find his smile. It was uh, nice to see. It was a great qualifying effort as well from I think it was at sixth on the grid. Something yeah. Like that. Uh, and points. Points mean prizes, as the cliche goes. Danny Kvyat finally gets a good result. I'm so pleased for him. You know, there's a few rumours after the race that might still not be enough to save his seat and probably won't ultimately at the end of the day. But at least he's, this is what I've been saying for weeks about Danny Kvyat is that even if he isn't going to be in the, in the Red Bull setup next season, get your head down and put in some good drives, and then you might get a Renault seat or a Williams seat or you know somewhere like that. So, you know, Sulkin wasn't going to get him anywhere. So I'm glad to see that he's finally gotten a gotten a good result out of that Toro Rosso car, a car that, as you've alluded to, has got the second season Ferrari engine in it. It's not going to be going anywhere in terms of development. But if you're going to get points, it's probably going to be around a track like Singapore. So, well done, Danny. Um, ninth, given that he started sixth, you might argue, is a bit disappointing. But if you look at the teams that are ahead of him, you've got both the Red Bulls, both, of, both the Ferraris and both the Mercs. Then you've got Force India, who are having a great season. And as we've just spent a while discussing, the McLaren, which is continuing to improve. So, 
really it's, it's you weren't really going to get much more than eighth or ninth which is exactly where he's came so a really good good result for for uh for Kvyat. and i i think that little um the little sort of spat with the uh, verstappen mid-race probably yes. had pretty much every non-dutchman non-red bull fan um quietly cheering on the russian as he yeah um, totally totally got a little a little bit of revenge on um on his uh, uh on his sort of i was going to say teammate but he wasn't ever his teammate but do you know what i mean his um stable mate i guess you will in the sort of red bull <laughs> setup um and it was kind of nice to hear that um nobody said danny you've got to get out of the way they quietly suggested to him that maybe he wasn't really racing Max and he was really uh, Yeah, I mean, it, there, became Alonso, a point, but... there became a point where he was kind of wrecking his own race. But <laughs> you know what? Some things are more important. And I think he had to just put down a marker and say, this guy isn't coming through. If this guy wants to come through, he's going to have to take me with him. <laughs> and it was kind of, it was nice to see. It was a really good scrap as well. You know, it was really good, generally fair formula one on track battle you know i think i think kiviet in a way rather showed the difference between how max goes defending and how a lot of the other race drivers go defending. and it's not like danny fiat hasn't had his moments of putting his car in stupid places so <laughs> don't you know don't mistake me here for saying these you know somehow uh, a billion times better than max but i think what kiviet did was say uh okay this is the way that you're going to have to go around me if you want to overtake. And this is where I'm putting the car. So you're going to go here and I'm going to drive this line. And I know that this line is going to put me in all the right places for me to be ahead of you. So you're going to have to be that much quicker than me. You're going to have to break that much later um, or come from that much farther back to surprise me in one of these moves. And that to me is the essence of Formula One defending. It's about saying, you know, I'm going to stop you taking the line that you would like to take to overtake me you're going to have to go around the outside onto the marbles um come at, at it from a different angle or tuck up behind me and then hope that you can pop out uh, and outbreak me um as we go you know as we go into the zone and, and do those bits and pieces um and it, it was beautiful and to be fair to max as well um he was aggressive in his overtaking moves but he didn't take it too far he didn't you know wasn't slamming in smashing wheels um, as he's, you know, potentially been a little uh, careless of in some of the moves. Um, you know, he put his car in the right places to try and make the overtakes. Um, didn't, you know, sort of slam into the uh, into somewhere and, you know, say it's up to you to avoid this accident. So, you know, sort of fair play, fair play from Max. And afterwards, um, Max said as well that, you know, he didn't ask for team orders. He, you know, if, if he wants to overtake Danny, he has to overtake him. It's not a, you know... Uh, so it's kind of fair play from around there. It was a really good piece of on-track action, and it just it just made you wish that you could see more of that. Yep, in all absolutely. of the other races, it, it should be <laughs> it should be a case that um, the differentials between teams don't mean that you know a car coming up to somebody, uh, you you know that they're going to pass them in two laps time because they're they're so different on on track and stuff like that. It was kind of nice to see that bunching up of the cars allowed you know, a guy like Kvyat to really show that, you know, doesn't matter that I'm in a crappier car than you. I can, I can make life difficult for the best of them. So fair play, Danny Kvyat. 
Agreed. Tenth Ten. place. Wow. <laughs> Didn't see that one coming after qualifying um, and free practice. The Renault did not look like it was good around <laughs> here, which is not entirely unsurprising given that, you know, we kind of know that, that that Renault chassis is a fairly bodged 2015 uh, Lotus chassis. Um, but Magnussen seemed to be able to um, ring it out for whatever reason. Um, again, he was on a, he did the uh, two-stop strategy. Um, he did ultra soft, super soft and super soft, the same as uh, Danny Kvyat, which is interesting because the people who finished ahead of them, obviously Sergio Press did the soft soft, but Alonso did ultra soft, super soft, and then soft. Um so what goes back to what I was saying at the start is there was that much of a varying different differentials on strategy that it made for such an unpredictable race and, and you didn't really know until the last five laps exactly where it was all going to shake out. That's a that's a really good result for Renault and um it takes us back to the question of how come Kevin Magnussen hasn't been signed up by Renault for next year? I don't understand that. I really don't understand why that deal hasn't been done. It must be one of these Nico Rosberg situations where remember how long it took for his contract mm. negotiations to get to you know it was rumbling on and rumbling on and they kept saying oh it's happening it's happening it must be one of those things that to my un unknowledgeable eye looking in surely that's a, that deal is just done and 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 it's just a formality because why why wouldn't he be retained? Well, uh, I guess you'd say the same thing about Sergio Perez, who was, you know, sort of in the press, hinting that he was going to be, uh, he was re-signing with Force India, but the deal hasn't been announced. And you think, well, surely either it is or isn't, you know. And, and you know, I think Force India was saying it's not the deal with Sergio; it's the financial stuff that we have to sort out, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, with with his sponsors and stuff. But surely there's, you know. I mean, how long can that possibly take? You can't be. It can't. Doesn't seem like it should be going on for weeks and weeks and weeks. Saying, you know, <laughs> will you give us your money or won't you give us your money? Um, <laughs> uh, and yeah, the, the, both of those deals seem really odd. Is that if you've got the chance to sign them, surely you would get the the pen on the paper. Where you know who are, who are Renault going to be bringing in that's that's going to be better than Kevin Magnussen? I don't. I don't see where you know they they potentially can have Ocon or Verline from the Manners because there seems to be this weird thing where the Mercedes Junior drivers are also Renault drivers for apparent <laughs> reason. Um, but do you really rate Verline or Ocon more than Kevin Magnussen? I don't see why they don't put Verline and Magnussen in the car. Sorry, Julian Palmer fans out there, but. Um... That seems like the obvious solution to me. Or even Danny Kvyat in that second seat. Or See, I think I think the concept of Magnussen and Kvyat actually sounds like quite a a decent pairing for yeah. a, a team coming back into the into the sport. Got I think two they're... young drivers that are both highly rated. You yeah, know. Totally. I think uh, I think that would be absolutely fine. And the the, the key the key sort of denominator there each time each pairing there is Magnuson. It's get him signed up and then yeah, play around with the second seat if you want, you know. But 
Magnussen's clearly the guy that should be leading that team going forward. He scored every single point for the yeah. team this season. And I know it's not many, but it's not a good car, and he's done what is the absolute most he could get out of it. Whatever points he could possibly manage to salvage, he has done so. And Yeah, Palmer, yeah, Palmer appears to have only been in the position to score points like twice, and both times he's not done it either. Not not necessarily always from his own fault, but certainly one of the times was that that spin when he looked odds on to to get tenth. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, and I do feel sad for saying that about Julian because he seems like such a nice guy. But um, if you're going to make changes there, though, that's the seat you're going to yes, change, isn't it? Let's that, be honest. That's what so, I would be doing anyway. So get Magnussen signed up, and then. You know, if you want to wait until the off season to sort out the second seat or wait to see what happens with other drivers around the grid, that's absolutely fine. But to not have Magnussen set, signed up yet seems seems a weird one to me. It's possibly one of those ones that you know, like I say, it, it's all is it all but done, and it's just a, a case of waiting for some some uh, eyes to be dotted and T's to be crossed or whatever. Maybe we'll find out. But surely, surely they aren't going to let him go. They're not that stupid. <laughs> you know, I mean. Kevin Magnussen is. There was a reason he was at McLaren, you know. There's a reason he got put in the McLaren at such a young age because the boy's got talent, you know. They wouldn't be. Renault, in my opinion, are, are quite fortunate that they've managed to, to land someone like Magnussen. Yeah. He could have easily stayed at McLaren had circumstances been slightly different, you know. They've been quite fortunate that this, this young driver with lots of talent became available and they were able to get. Um, at a time when they were going through a transitional period, and he should be the one that they, you know, put their flag to, and 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 lead, and he leads the team forward from here. So it seems so obvious to me. I guess we'll maybe see in the next few weeks if the deal's done. I'm assuming it will be because the Renault they're not stupid, so they'll they'll surely get that done. Yeah, Julian, on the other hand, I think his. Uh, I think yeah, that's a. Uh... Wall and writing. A, a chapter of his life that he'll be able to say, yes, I was also a Formula 1 driver, but <laughs> that was about it. Um, one one Brett on the grid next season. Mm, not not great, but, well, it is what it is, isn't it? You it know? is what it is, you know. If the, the, I'm not a particularly patriotic guy, and if the talent, you know... If, if the talent isn't there, it isn't there. <laughs> no, uh, I think in this sport, if you um, if you follow a team, you are happy so long as your team has the best drivers, regardless of <laughs> regardless of whether I sneeze or not. Um, <laughs> sorry, regardless of what nationality they are. Do you know what I mean? As yeah, a, absolutely. I'm sure as a Ferrari fan, um, when they had a Brazilian and a German driving around with them, so long as the Brazilian and the German were coming first and second. Couldn't give a monkeys that it wasn't an Italian driver. I'm sure that the ideal situation, you know, was for uh, an Italian to pop up in the car and, um, you know, win them a world championship. But I'm, I'm sure all Ferrari fans would take a world championship over uh, an Italian driving the car. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, As a Ferrari fan, I can confirm that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm the same. You know, I'm in the same at McLaren. So I'm going to be very. Uh, sad that Jensen Button is not going to be driving the McLaren and that there's not going to be a you know when it was when it was Lewis and Button on and it was sort of Team Britain that was nice you know it was a nice thing but it didn't you know didn't, really didn't make results, me want to support so. them more particularly it was just a kind of you know cool thing that this 
British team with this, you know, all this history had two top uh, British drivers in it. But if it's now going to have um, a Spaniard uh, and a Belgie <laughs> in it, then there you go. That's that's what it is. So long as those are the two best drivers that I can see getting into the car, I'm happy as a McLaren fan. So, like you say, you have to you have to go with the best two that are available regardless. And and from a McLaren point of view, I think we've covered it at length. But I think we both agree that, that Van Dorm and Fernando's probably the best. Uh, the best solution at this stage for McLaren and going back to Renault, sad as it is for, for Julian, he's he's not really he's not really proven that he's that he's the man for the seat. And if someone like Danny Fiat comes available, you know, you put yourself in the boss at Renault's shoes, you got Danny Fiat or you got Julian Palmer. Well yeah. I, Fiat I, I, that doesn't when you put it like that, you go, Well, yeah, duh. <laughs> so I mean, you know, you got Danny Fiat, who's got his own issues attached to, I'm sure. But guys, been at Red Bull, you know, he's been driving at the top end of the the field. He's and and he's got. You're going to get him at a time where he's going to be hungry like hell to to show that he should be there. And I'm not saying Julian won't be either, but I just yeah, for me, you have to take someone like Fiat in that situation. Um. So 11th place was Gutierrez in the Haas, uh, just outside the points again. Um, yeah, I, I, I believe Gutierrez last time round, but yeah, what's with the 11th place? <laughs> somebody was saying that he, he's done like 165 laps in 11th. That's ridiculous. <laughs> he's probably only had about 160 laps on the track. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, nah, I mean, poor, poor, uh, poor Gutierrez can't buy a, cannot buy a point, but he's had, I mean... I was going to say he's had Grosjean well and truly covered in the last couple of races, but poor Roman don't <laughs> even get the start. Certainly had him well and truly covered this. <laughs> but yeah, this it's 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 very much close, but no cigar for Gutierrez. And what can we say? We covered Haas quite in depth the last few weeks, where we both agreed that this is just where they are, isn't it, at this yeah. stage of the season? And if they can sneak a point like this weekend, Magnussen getting the tenth. It could have easily gone the other way. Gutierrez could have sneaked the tenth, um, but they're never going to uh, at this stage in the season with the development that they have. They aren't going to be getting regular points finishes. So it's it's a shame for Gutierrez. He really he really could do with that, that point because you know I don't think he's got any, does he, at this point? So uh, no, and I, and I think there's a lot of drivers who, if you have the potential to get points, what you don't want to be doing is ending up. Uh, consistently failing to get well, the point. that, but you don't want to be the person that comes down to, to having less points than the guy who had one race the whole entire season in a McLaren. True. You don't <laughs> not, want to be the person that ends up behind yeah. Stoffel van Dorn in his singular not, race. Well, that's that's Julian Palmer and and sort of Felipe Nazar's problem as well. That right now, there's the two cyber. Palmer and Gutierrez are all behind Van Dorn in the championship. Now it's not like Van Dorn came in and drove the Mercedes for one Grand Prix. He drove the McLaren. It's not a particularly good McLaren at the time, and still managed to score a point with it. So yeah, if these guys are get twenty races to to outscore him and can't do it, it's not really a good indictment on them, is it? <laughs> no. Uh, Gutierrez is a funny one. Do, do we know if he's staying on at, at Haas? The, the, <laughs> the, the Magic 8 Ball says the signs are good, I believe. I, I, as far as I'm aware, that is still, you know, 
It might, I mean, that's Abbott the parent that they want to go go for the Ferrari connections, and I think everything else slightly confirm that being yeah. the. I've been critical of Gutierrez, but he has definitely improved in the second half of the season, and consistency at a new team like Haas might well be a good thing there. So if you look at these last um, last five results: thirteenth, eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth, and eleventh. Yeah, so he's hitting the bar, isn't he? He's getting he's getting closer. Um, and that's you know that's pretty comparable to you know you take away take away the first bit of the season really and. Um, you know, there's uh, the the seventh place in Austria for for Grosjean is the st- standout result of the middle of the season. But he's not been doing anything better than that in all of his other races. He's been fourteenth, thirteenth, thirteenth, eleventh, thirteenth, and fourteenth. Do you know what I mean? It's not like <clears throat> it's not like whilst this has all been going on with Esteban improving, Grosjean has also been improving. If anything, he's stayed where he is and yeah, uh, and stuff. And uh, do you find it odd that um? Grosjean is being quite so vocal about how much he hates the Haas car. Yeah, it is strange. It is strange. Remember at the start of the season, he was saying that it was a brilliant car and everything like that, and it's all of a sudden... It's the worst car he's ever driven, apparently. Yeah, I find that, but... I'm not really sure what his motive is there. You know, why is he burying the team that he's committed to for the next season or two? You know, it doesn't really make any sense to publicly be so critical. You know, fair enough, be critical indoors if you, if you must, but it seems it seems a little bit odd. Uh, it does seem odd when you could just come out and say, you know, I think the result I got today was the maximum that I could with the car. Then that's yeah, fine. I Everybody mean, understands a, a, that what you mean is the car was rubbish and I did the best I could. Yeah, there's a, there's a, you know, there's a diplomatic way to go about it without throwing the rest <laughs> of the team under the bus, you know? <laughs> I don't know, maybe Grosjean's just got to that point where he's like, yeah, um, how old is he? He must be 30 now, Grosjean, something like that. So he's maybe just got to that uh, sort of Fernando Alonso zen phase. <laughs> he's 30, Grosjean's 30. So he's maybe turned turned 30 this season and just went, you know what? How long, how long realistically have I got left? <laughs> maybe yeah. three, three, four seasons? Who cares? <laughs> yeah, what's, what's the worst that can happen? <laughs> yeah. You know, Fernando's a bit like that these days. Uh, Kimmy's obviously like that. Um, a couple others off the top of my head I can't think of. But yeah, you know, he's, he's maybe just gone. You know what? Yeah, who cares? I'm still going to be here next season. So uh, so let's wrap up the the uh, the final positions. Uh, disappointing 12th for Felipe Massa. Um, I didn't really see what happened to him. I don't see him get caught up in anything, I didn't think, but... Um, I can't remember off the top of my head what happened, but he's a, he was a three stopper, so he was um, possibly just slow then on stints and things like that. I'm not, I don't, I don't remember an obvious ultra soft, super soft, ultra soft, ultra soft. So you know, he did probably about as fast as he could. Pos- you know, he had all the tires, obviously from his bad qualifying, um, to go out there and do something with it, but then didn't. So don't know what you can really say about that one. Um, he finishes ahead of Fred, um, and I guess that's a pretty good, solid result for Felipe Nasri. He finishes ahead of um, a Toro Rosso, uh, Renault, both Manners, um, uh, and obviously his his teammate. Um, yeah, that's as good as they're going to get, really, in that Sauber. Yeah, I, I think that's probably... that's uh, that's as high as he could come 
with the car at his disposal would be the diplomatic way of saying it. Yes. Um, did you see what happened to Carlos Sainz? Yeah, he got black and orange flagged, which ruined his race. Ah, uh, yes, of course he did. <laughs> and I, uh, I think that, that put him completely out of... Just ruined it, because it, it, it was in no man's land with strategy then. Eh? So... Yeah, yeah, he was too early for uh, the really to go onto the proper three stops. So he had to, I think he had to elongate his um, and he came out in traffic and in the, on the super softs. You know, he was forced to pit at a certain time because of the black and orange flag, so they couldn't have any freedom of you know trying to get him out outside of traffic and things like that. You know, it was he must pit now. So uh, maybe it, that's maybe that's a fair been, result. Then probably coming from Plum wasn't he? Just, he must have been last by the time that all got sorted out. Well, you know, they had guys like uh, Button and things who had uh, picked up damage at the start, and that that he was he was in and around that 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 crowd that that all pitted you know, very early. You know, Bottas uh, had a puncture from the tangle at the start, uh, Button had the front wing damage. So Sainz came out in and amongst that group. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're, you're just, not going just, uh, that. You're stuck essentially behind two cars that are going to always be faster than you, probably, and pitting at probably more reasonable times than you as well it just yeah it just completely damaged his race which was a shame because he was mixing it with Danny Kvyat and Max Verstappen in the early phases of the race so it was a bit unfortunate uh the black and orange flag was mm, yeah I could see I think the problem was had the large board stayed still I think they'd have let him go but it gently went from being kind of broken but at the right angle to being like practically 90 degrees up so I think the fact that it was moving made them go, well, that's going to come off at some point. So yeah, and it's it comes a big off old that. bit of carbon fibre to yeah. fly off the back of a car. So True, true. But you don't see a lot of black and orange flags, really. You don't, but I think the problem is, is that a lot of the time, when somebody gets a big piece of damage like that, they generally have to come in anyway. True. Do you know what I mean? Because it's, it's usually related with a puncture or something else that the team need to look at. Um, so it's odd to see something that big on a car um, broken, uh, but not have just fallen off. Julian <laughs> uh, Palmer, as we kind of talk about, I don't want to sort of get on his case any more than that. It was not a good race for him at I all. Don't even, I don't really recall seeing him do anything, to be honest. No, uh, and I think that probably says it all. Uh, Verline uh, then finishes ahead of uh, Marcus Ericsson, who had a decent qualify, didn't he? He got through to Q2, didn't he? So he did, yeah. He must have. Um, He's gone backwards a little bit. Very, very far backwards. Um, and especially with Nasser having what would be considered a decent race for that cyber team. Yeah. Not, not particularly good for, for Ericsson when, you know, obviously at that, that type of level you want to be beating your teammate and he's been comprehensively outdone there. So not great for him. Got I don't know what the future holds for cyber in terms of drivers and things. I assume both of those guys bring money. So... Probably both get another yeah, chance. Yeah, Naz, Naz is the one I think searching for a seat away from the team, given how entrenched now Ericsson is to to the the thing with his backers having essentially bought the team. So I think Naz would rather be somewhere else if he can find a seat. But I think the problem is going to be finding that seat. So yeah, good luck with that, Fred. I don't see how he gets a seat anywhere, particularly at this stage. I think, I mean, realistically, what's going to be available is the Renault seat, maybe Palmer's Renault seat. He, can't see him going there. No, he was vaguely mentioned along the Williams seat for Massa's seat, but that appears mm. to be going to um, Lance Stroll now. Lance Stroll, Williams, what did you see in the billionaire's son when you decided to <laughs> hire him as your second driver? Hmm. 
so yeah, so I think that ship has rather sailed for him, which I think would have been his probably, you know, where he might possibly have gone had they not picked up a Kvyat or or somebody else. Um, so I think that's that's rather done. And er- Ericsson now essentially owns a team um, and is going to be the focus of it. So he's not going to be going anywhere. So I guess it's whether they pick up somebody else to replace Naza. But Naza brings in a lot of um, a lot of finance as well. So I well, exactly. I so. think I think they will try and hang on to him if they can. If he doesn't move on, he um, brings in finance and he's not terrible for a pay driver. You know, no, he's okay. You know, as proven this weekend. Uh, yeah. uh, last finisher was Seba- um, Colin Sebastian Ocon again. Sorry, Carly. <laughs> uh, Esteban Ocon, two laps down. Um, had Apparently, he said he had two terrible pit stops. Uh, lost about a minute in um, <laughs> across both pit stops. So uh, I'm, I guess that might explain that. He's not, however, rather kind of setting the world on light. Um, and interestingly... Uh, news about the paddock is that Rio Harianto is actually scraping together more finance. Um, <laughs> I love that idea that he's literally looking down the back of the sofa to try and get a drive. Like, well, I, I think <laughs> the thing is, is it's, it's fairly apparent now that actually he was a lot better driver than people were giving him credit for. Um, so I think there's now actually quite a lot more interest in seeing him back in the sport. Yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a, I, yeah, I'd have a little nostalgia pop for Rio coming back. You know, like sure, bring him in. Like, yeah. Like I agree with you, he's actually did a half decent job. So it's much of a muchness for me who drives that car between Ocon and Harianto. If Harianto manages to to come back for for a race or two, I'm all for it. So our DNFs were Jensen Button and McLaren, who eventually had to retire with uh, breakdown issues from uh, getting caught up in the first lap incident. Um, Bottas. Retired with mechanical issues and also a broken seatbelt, which was Bottas. a first. Valtteri Bottas continues to be involved in the, my favourite things in Formula One. Like, remember when he had the, the wrong tyre? Oh, the wrong tyre, yes. <laughs> That's up there with the greatest things I've ever seen, but uh, this seatbelt stuff was pretty comical as well. Like uh, Just just him sitting stationary in the pit lane for 45 seconds while someone literally has to put his seatbelt on for him. Was just... Uh, <laughs> Worth a little giggle, but ruined his race. The, the, the reason he retired was he his engine overheated from being sat there for so long while he had to get his belt fitted. So <laughs> he went, he, he got the belt fitted, he come out, did an outlap, and the engine overheated and blew. So that's why he had to retire. So yeah, it's just just comical stuff from from the poor the poor Finn. <laughs> he seems to be consistently caught up in these funny incidents. Like him and Riken and battling as well last season was. Another pretty comical oh, yeah, one. Absolutely. So it just—it's just, it's just always quite, it always seems to be Valtteri that this stuff happens to. Uh, and obviously, we lost uh, Nico Hockenberg in the first lap of the race, uh, pinched between both the Toro Rossos. Um, yeah, it's quite a quite a big smash for you know for the first. You don't see an awful lot of um, oh, not, not on the straight, is it? That's yeah, that's what the I'm thing. Saying. It's always first corner going in, and somebody outbreaks themselves and clips somebody or. Or what have you, where it's three into two doesn't go. But that was it was it's odd almost to see surprising. a guy in the middle of the track pinched yeah. by both drivers around him. It's almost surprising we don't see more of that given, you know, this is high speed Formula One cars, you know. I, I guess the thing is that most of the start finish lines are quite wide. You can probably actually get four cars if they're all travelling along at roughly the same speed, you can get four cars side by side along almost all of them. And the only reason it happened this time was Verstappen going so slowly 
uh, and pulling to the left meant that um, signs pulled to the right to go around him, whilst the two other cars were just where they were, you know, on the on the right hand side in the middle, um, and there was just nowhere for everybody to go. It was a case, you know, the signs only recourse would either have been to have slammed on the anchors and tried to have stopped, which probably wasn't going to happen. Somebody would um, have slammed into the back of him then as well, possibly. Yeah, that has almost its own, certainly. Own um, risks attached to it. Or he, or he crashes into the back of uh, uh, Verstappen, which is probably not going to endear him to his bosses either. So <laughs> you know, he probably I mean, did the only thing he could do and just pulled and hoped that, you know... It's it's nobody's fault, and the stewards seen it that way. And it, it, and Hulkenberg said exactly the same thing. He yeah. said, well, you know, what could he do? He had, to, he had to go around Verstappen, and these things happen. It's just Formula One that's racing. Yeah, and I quite agree. So. Uh, and our uh, DNS, we don't see those all that often. Um, but poor old Roman Grosjean did not even get going as his brakes failed. Um, after having replaced his gearbox, I think, as well. So he'd taken penalties as it was, <laughs> uh, starting yep. from the pit lane and then didn't even get to start from the pit lane. Um, A weekend to forget for poor Roman. Hopefully better things to come for him in Malaysia. So indeed, I think that takes us nicely to the to the end of the race. Malaysia up next. Um I believe, although my memory is hazy, so I'm not always accurate, but is this the last race that Ferrari managed to win uh, last ooh, season? I think it might have been. I think it is, possibly. Uh, I don't think they, did they went. No, oh no, did they win Singapore last year? Oh yes, no, Vettel won it last year, didn't he? Yeah, so... So uh, yeah, so but they won. They definitely won uh, Malaysia in twenty fifteen. So touch wood, we see a bit more of that. We see a bit more of the pace that Ferrari showed um, in Singapore, like like Vettel coming from the back of the grid for fifth. Clearly showed that the car had a summon this weekend. So let's hope we can see a bit more of that. The uh, the Red Bulls. Two long straights at it's Malaysia. Not their do you best think track, it? is it? I don't no. think. Um, Possibly, Ferrari might be best of the rest behind the Mercedes this uh, in this one. Just with that, that those those two mega long straights would worry me. Uh, as a, if I was a Red Bull fan. Yeah, um, it certainly hasn't suited them in the last um, sort of couple of uh, couple of seasons. Um, yeah, Fernando Alonso had the result in 2012 in the Ferrari in among Red Bull's sort of dominant times. Um, yeah, I, I, I'd suggest um, I, I'd suggest that Ferrari might have the, the better shift of it this race compared to the others. Um, Do you think... Uh, you see, really. Red Bull were surprisingly good at Spa, weren't they? So... Can we assume the Mercedes will be one and two if all things being equal? I think so. I think if there's a track that looks like it should kind of suit them, isn't it? There's nice. Um, there's there's not too many type technical bits in there, really, is there? To that that aren't really Mercedes' ultimate best best place. It's, it seems to be full of all of the the kind of corners that their their car is set up to deal with. So yeah, I'd be very surprised if we don't don't see the Mercs one twoing it. Um, but we we live in hope, you know. After a, after a de- decent Singapore race, maybe hopefully there's there, there can be some some challenges from from the cars behind. But we'll we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> I like Malaysia a lot. It's one of my favourite tracks, so I'm looking forward to it. 
So I think that takes us nicely to the end of the podcast. Uh, so thank you very much for listening, guys. Um, we will be back in a couple of weeks uh, when we obviously cover the Malaysian Grand Prix. Hopefully we are trying to uh, get together another special uh, with um, uh, an accredited F1 journalist, don't you know? Um, <laughs> and hopefully we can get him on the show to uh, talk in depth about the season so far and, and, and what he's made of it. Um, so look out for that in the meantime. But like I say, otherwise, back in two weeks after Malaysia, uh, make sure that you have bookmarked www.lastlappodcast.co.uk. Uh, make sure you follow us on the Twitter at Last Lap Podcast. Remember to like our Facebook page, uh, which is just searching for The Last Lap Podcast. And if you want to download the podcast automatically, then you can do so by subscribing via iTunes, via TuneIn, via Stitcher, or simply subscribe to our RSS feed from our website on your Android device if you don't want to use any of those services. Uh, and with that, well, thank you again for listening, and we will see you in two weeks' time. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.